Technology is the latest sector to be affected by tensions between the US and China. President Joe Biden is accused of weaponizing technology for imposing sweeping controls on sales of semiconductors to Beijing. What's behind his decision and how much is down to politics? I'm Hazem Seeker and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guest now to uh, talk more about this. From Dubai, we have Vasuki Shastri, an associate fellow in the Asia-Pacific program of Chatham House. From Shanghai, Dan Wang, a chief economist at Hang Seng Bank, China. And from London, Yang Wang, a senior analyst at CounterPoint, that is a global technology market research firm. Good to have you all with us. So, um, Vasuki, if I could start with you, what's the the thinking behind this decision by the US in terms of uh, putting the pressure on China? I think one should look at the historical perspective uh, where these export controls have been used by the US, essentially dating back uh, to the Cold War, right? So you've had export controls mainly targeted at the former Soviet Union in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, which were mainly aimed at uh, uh, stemming any advances that the Soviet Union uh, could make in the arms race that was underway during the Cold War. Obviously, the geopolitical context has uh, changed uh, uh, in, in this era. And the primary US motivation, and you know, last Friday's decision comes, up, comes on top of many, many other decisions taken in the last two to three years, a recognition by successive administrations uh, that we are now in a technological race, uh, and component of that, of course, is an arms race, and the primacy of you know developing these advanced computing capabilities, of which you know the semiconductors really are enablers of these technologies. Uh, whoever is able to master this uh, will have a huge technological edge. Over, over the competitor. And in this case, obviously, the US is thinking mainly of China, right? And one has seen a lot of narrative that these con export controls are somewhat new. Uh, that's absolutely not true. And also, if you look at it purely from the perspective of a nation state uh, trying to protect its uh, technological edge, uh, so the US is well within its rights to impose these export controls. And obviously, they are extraterritorial in, the, in reach in the sense that US allies who have access to these technologies will not be able to transfer them over to China. Right? So that's the technical trade uh, conception of why, why this has been designed the way it has been designed. Obviously, there's a huge geopolitical con context to this. You mentioned Taiwan earlier. Uh, Taiwan is clearly the hub for global semiconductor production. And you know, any country that is able, first of all, to protect its flanks at home, to make sure that the technologies it produces does not get transferred, in this case, to China. Uh, the second element of this really is to make sure uh, that the Taiwanese manufacturers of these semiconductors uh, lean more towards the US side than the Chinese side. And this is going to be a delicate diplomatic dance uh, uh, as it unfolds over the next five years or so. Dan Wang, uh, how do you expect China to react to this? They've already said that this is, uh, uh, that the US is, is, is kind of throwing its weight around here. 
in the semiconductor market uh, uh, by uh, using it as a, as, a, as a political weapon. But how do you expect China to, uh, how do you expect them to respond to this? Well, China has been well aware of the technological decoupling with the U.S. for a long time. So it has been redoubling its effort to be self-sufficient in chip manufacturing. And from this point on, we can definitely expect two fronts uh, that will be taken by the Chinese government. One is on the financing of the chip industry in China. They already got a huge financial support, uh, mostly from the city and provincial government, but the central government has been supporting a large fund trying to develop the semiconductor sector. And the second one is about talents. Uh, in the past decade, China has been hiring very aggressively from Taiwan, especially from the TSMC, to replenish its talents uh, in terms of the entrepreneurs, engineers, uh, to develop its domestic sector. Um, but at this point, uh, there has been a bottleneck. Uh, in the past three years, uh, the labor mobility inflow into China has been significantly slowed. And the economics prospect for China has also been much dimmer than before. So there has been some shaking confidence about where China can go from this point. Uh, if it can keep up its openness in the coming years, then I still believe there is a chance that China can develop quite fast uh, about its domestic ability to produce chips. Yang Wang, do you share that perspective? I mean, the attention here by the United States is to try and set Chinese chip makers back by, by years. Uh, could they do that? Well, I think um, the measures that we have seen since last week definitely well, you could definitely see the rationale behind um, the U.S. administration. Um, you, you look at this from an angle uh, from not just the measures last week, but uh, a slew of policies in, in recent years. You start with uh, what we call the tech war, um, starting from a ban on Huawei ZTE equipment um, in 2018, and more recently, um, severe curbs, more, more severe curbs, on the Chinese tech industry, and more, more, more recently, um, uh, restrictions on export of uh, U.S. semiconductors. And, and, and in the policies from last week, we could see even further uh, granularization of some of the restrictions. And this one includes the sale of uh, semiconductor uh, manufacturing equipment, as well as restrictions on personnel exchanges. So I, we could say that the... Um, the, um, the policies have been fairly consistent and that the U.S. administration is really flexing its muscle and looking deeper and looking deeper into where the values lie in the semiconductor um, supply chain. One could say that they are landing the punches as where they intend to. And uh, the purpose of it is, uh, uh, of course, uh, ensuring supremacy of U.S. leading-edge technology and manufacturing but also to kneecap China's technological development. Vasuki Shastri, is there a danger that this move could ignite tensions further between China and the United States? I mean, I think that's a baseline expectation that this is part of a continuing saga that is going to unfold in the next few years. Uh, it, is, it is the greatest drama in town, uh, watching both uh, the US and China attempting to gain uh, technological supremacy in, in all of these new areas you know, of artificial intelligence, machine learning, 
which is what the semiconductors and advanced uh, computing capabilities are going to enable. So the question is, are the global rules of the road which will enable the US and China to come together, you know, almost like a trade agreement on the sensitive uh, uh, technological items. And you know, the room for that seems very, very limited. Uh, in fact, on the global trading uh, front, there's very little consensus amongst members of the WTO to come to any kind of agreement on the global rules of the road. You know, they've tried for many times in Doha uh, over the past three decades and have not succeeded. So it's very difficult to see uh, anyone defining these transfers of technology as constituting normal, you know, exchange of trade of goods and services between countries. And the US really is using its sovereign exception in this case. So your, you know, tensions are absolutely going to rise. Uh, they're going to rise not only in this narrow field of semiconductors, but it is going to have ripple effects elsewhere. And you know, one should really closely watch uh, developments in Taiwan, uh, uh, which you know, in any case, got aggravated after the Nancy Pelosi visit a few months ago. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Taiwan. We mentioned at the top there how pivotal uh, Taiwan is to the semiconductor industry. It's essentially cornered the market. Um, on, on semiconductors. Um, uh, Dan Wang, what's, what's uh, Taiwan's role going to be in all of this, given the, the close relations it has with the United States and the fact that China considers Taiwan a, a renegade uh, province? But there is, there is an understanding there that China doesn't want to put too much pressure on Taiwan because of its dependence, uh, the dependence that it has on, on Taiwan's semiconductors. Uh, well, when it comes to the chip manufacturing, China absolutely rely on imports. Uh, and Taiwan has been a major source of advanced chips for mainland China. Um, and when we look at the competition between US and China, everybody is very clear about uh, what the end game is. It's basically the transformative technology in the future. Uh, and China wants to transition its economy from an investment-led economy to a consumer-based economy. Uh, things like e-commerce, uh, smartphones, online payment, or even digital money has become very important. Uh, chips, which China cannot make uh, and mostly only can be made by TSMC, would be essential in this transition. And recently, we have seen more tech restrictions from the U.S., uh, and that's partly triggered by some breakthrough of the Chinese company, um, because uh, some Chinese company uh, has been able, uh, SMIC uh, specifically, uh, has been able to get in close to make its own seven nanometer uh, chips. And previously, it was already uh, able to make the 14 nanometer chips at a reasonable scale. So one can only anticipate more tech restrictions on China. Uh, right now, the Biden administration is very clear on getting more uh, aligned with its allies, uh, including uh, Europe, including Taiwan, uh, in order to curb their chip exports to China. And what's going to happen next um, really depends on how much more that the Biden administration is willing to do. And on the China side, uh, the only thing that we can anticipate for sure is that it will for sure it will definitely uh, provide more financing, more policy support, 
and absolutely uh, more talent support for its domestic chip industry. Yang Wang, what's your take on, on the implications of all of this for Taiwan? Well, certainly Taiwan is in a very tight spot. Um, on the, on the, yeah, we, can, we have seen for the past couple of years the geopolitical tensions and also um, that had, uh, and also due to COVID, there were some ripple effects over uh, the supply chain. Um, COVID disruptions definitely had some uh, huge impact to our industry. Um, case in point, some uh, car manufacturers uh, were running half, half of their normal manufacturing capacity. So globally, there's huge demand for the products that come out of TSMC's fabs in Taiwan. Now, uh, TSMC is a, is a global company. Um, the reason that it exists is that it tries to take a neutral stance and collaborate with all the other partners. The semiconductor value chain, it's, it's extremely long. It, it, it's, it's, it's a very specialized area, all the way from materials, design, IP, equipment, manufacturing, packaging. So the reason that TSMC has succeeded is not only the R&D expertise, but also in an open collaboration an attitude it had with customers. So, um, so basically what we are looking at is TSMC and some of the supply chain companies um, in Taiwan really being squeezed from non-market forces. They really have to um, uh, take very difficult decisions whether to um, align with uh, the US-driven um, policies as well as catering to their, to their markets because being located in Taiwan, and close to the, some of the biggest customers in Japan, in Korea, and in China really benefited them. So if it were come to a place that they had to move some of the assets to other places, um, it really could be a logistic and financial challenge for them. I'm not saying that they will not do it, but definitely it is one of the concerns for their management. Yeah, um, Vasuki, I mean, as... as uh, uh, as Yang was saying there, there's a lot of in interconnecting parts to, to the semiconductor industry. And if this um, policy is going to be, this policy from the US is going to be effective, uh, it needs um, everybody to do their part, so to speak. That means uh, other countries allied with the US, other uh, foreign companies to, to go along with what the US is trying to do. How essential is that um, for this to work? Well, the U.S. has already introduced a framework uh, which would make this decoupling a reality. And I'm referring here to the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, of which there are 12 or 13 signatory countries. Digital cooperation is one of the pillars uh, of the IPEF. So, you know, the American position on this is they absolutely would like to share these advanced computing capabilities uh, with allies on very, very strict conditions uh, that, that uh, access to this information should not be shared uh, with the Chinese. And you know, embedded in this IPEF, uh, obviously it's not only focused on intellectual property and uh, uh, digital issues. There's also a trade pillar. We'll wait and see how this trade uh, pillar, whether it morphs into a regional free trade agreement like the CPTPP, uh, a, a bit early uh, to speculate on that. But I think the US geostrategic position on this is 
obviously to rally and mobilize a group of allies, not only in Asia, but obviously in Europe, in the context of Russia and Ukraine, we're already beginning to see that, in order to build this coalition, uh, uh, which has many planks, technology uh, uh, and uh, semiconductors being one of them. And it is this very broad strategic approach that the US hopes will help it gain a technological edge over a period of time, over what it regards as uh, inroads made by China over the past decade, and also accusations about intellectual property theft. Uh, so, this, so they're essentially taking a cohesive approach in order to address this. Uh, let's just take a step back uh, from this for a moment, uh, because a lot of people I know will be, will be wondering, what is this all going to mean for uh, things like personal devices, um, uh, uh, phones and, and other electronic devices, that sort of thing? You know, we, could, we talked a lot about military hardware, but how is this going to, uh, or is it going to affect at all um, uh, our daily use of these devices? and, and getting the most uh, advanced one next year and the year after that. Uh, let, me, let me put that to you, uh, Yang Wang. Right. Um, there certainly is a concern, um, given that we have um, under our watch a, a sort of a development of two different standards. And in terms of the consumer market, um, I would say in the short to medium term that it is not not as a big issue as expected, because in the short term, looking at the semiconductor and, uh, and global consumer tech industry, we are now in a downturn. Um, as we can see from the global macroeconomic environment, inflation globally, and consumer spending being squeezed, um, energy prices increasing. So we have already seen um, some key consumer electronics com companies coming out with uh, uh, earnings revisions, uh, capex, uh, capex uh, cuts, and hiring freezes, which all point to the fact that um, the market is heading to a downturn. And semiconductors, being the enabler of global consumer technology, uh, invariably will feel the pain too. Now, so in the short term, um, what we are looking at in this, uh, in the scheme of the policy, uh, reducing demand, uh, re reducing supply. But we are also facing a much more rapid reduction in demand. So in the short to medium term, we are unlikely to see a significant change, or at least as much as we experienced um, uh, during COVID times. Now, but in the medium to long term, that definitely would be um, something to think about. Because as I, as I mentioned, if companies are having to uh, make decisions to move their assets, capacities, and personnel around. Uh, it is almost a break from where uh, the current ways of doing things. They need to change their operating patterns. And there will be financial as well as uh, operational costs involved in them. And by the nature of the uh, semiconductor and tech value chain in general, it is a very long chain. And a lot of things need to go right. And not many things. Uh, a lot of things could also go wrong. It is already fragile, as we've seen in the past couple of years. Um, we definitely can, <clears throat> can have uh, higher risks um, coming to the market in the, in the next few years. All right. Dan Wang, what, what effect do you think this is going to have on consumers? Well, we have to remember that the U.S. didn't deny China's access for all chips. 
it, only when it comes to the most advanced chips that will go in smartphones like iPhone or uh, self-driving vehicles, that's where uh, the export ban uh, happened. So at this point, China is able to increase actually its global sale and global share of the chips. Masuki, what effect do you think this is going to have on, on personal technology? Yeah, I think, you know, we've focused a lot on hardware. And I agree that on the hardware, things are probably not going to change for the next few years. But I think on digital standards and software, we're already seeing a decoupling uh, between Chinese standards and the rest of the world. And, you know, that is going to uh, have a profound impact in the way we consume uh, uh, technologies and in the way the Chinese are going to consume technologies. And of course, you know, both these uh, uh, competing systems uh, will be built on cutting edge uh, hardware and software, but they're going to have very, very different philosophies and operating systems. Uh, that reflects, of course, why the US and China are involved in these tensions in the first place. So this decoupling, of standards would essentially mean that you know the, the world that we've lived in over the past few years, where it's been seamless, frictionless, where we've been able to move from one country to the other uh, with a single operating system, that that essentially is going to break down. And and this is what the American moves over the past week uh, essentially suggest. All right, on that, we will have to leave it. Thank you very much to all three of you, Vasuki Shastri, uh, Dan Wang, and Yang Wang. Thanks very much for being on Inside Story. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Kelvin Ng, Nihad El-Abedi, Aseba Umutlu, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Suraj Sankar. The program was edited by Anna Savic, Lin Nguyen, and Joe DeFrius. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Tuesday.